From the minds of the suspicious, this is Conspiracy. Welcome back to the Netcast Conspiracy. This is Emilahan Gazadeh. I'm certainly glad to have you joining me this evening or morning or afternoon or, or I guess whatever it is. That's the beauty of the internet and uh, netcasting is that you can listen to this whenever and wherever you want to. Um, this uh, episode is going to be about, yes, the Bush family. That's right. And a very particular member of the Bush family, a man by the name of Neil Bush. And what happened when he joined the board of directors of a Colorado savings and loan um, well, frankly, he just neglected to mention that uh, a pair of the uh, uh, thrift's borrowers were his business partners. And then he voted to approve more than $100 million in loans to them. And then he just said, well, it was just bad judgment. <laughs> Love it. So let me give you the, the, the back story here. Uh, going back into 1983, Neil Bush, son of... Then, Vice President George Herbert Walker Bush um, started out in an oil company. It was called J&NB Exploration. And um, he had two partners, a guy named Kenneth Good and a guy named Bill Walters. He put in $100 of his own money, and his partners put in $160,000. Now, for his $100 investment, Neil Bush received a 32% share of the company and a $75,000 a year salary. Remember, this is 1980s dollars. Two years later, Bush uh, gets offered membership on the board of directors of uh, Silverado Savings Alone, which is a Denver, Colorado thrift. And of course, he accepted. And uh, he, without disclosing his connections to uh, Kenneth Good and Bill Walters, he asked the Silverado Board of Directors to give a $900,000 line of credit to a joint venture uh, in which he and Good were partners. Then he voted with the board to lend Walters $100 million. By late 1986, <laughs> this is fantastic, uh, um, Kenneth Good borrowed nearly $32 million from Silverado and was having trouble making payments on the loans. I wonder why. Um, so he requested that uh, they be restructured to give him more time to pay. And as at the same time, he invested another $5 million in JNB Exploration. By 1987, JNB was losing money. It drilled 30 oil wells, and all of them turned up dry. But nevertheless, <laughs> uh, Good raised Neil Bush's salary to $120,000, gave him a $22,500 bonus, and then lent him an additional $100,000 to invest in high-risk commodities with the stipulation that Bush didn't have to pay the money back if the commodities flopped. And of course, they did, and Bush didn't. So Good and Walters ultimately borrowed and defaulted on over $130 million in loans from Silverado. And on November 9th, 1988, the day after George Bush was elected president, Silverado was declared insolvent and was seized uh, by the feds. What was the cost of the taxpayers, you might ask? About a billion dollars. 
So a couple of questions come to mind. First of all, was Neil Bush an innocent blunderer? Or did he and his partners intentionally milk Silverado? Which is it? Um, What he said, what Neil Bush claimed, is that he made an innocent mistake. But there's a guy uh, named Edward Conry from the University of Colorado, who's a law professor there, um, who was hired by regulators to evaluate this perform- Neil Bush's performance as a Silverado director. He said, no way. <laughs> as a matter of fact, I have a quote from him. Uh, quote, it is nearly inconceivable that a well-educated, experienced person receiving ongoing legal advice would not have been jarred out of innocence by $100 million in transactions, unquote. Um, and then he con- goes on, <laughs> even worse, he says, quote, Bush was entirely dependent on Good for his income, unquote. So if, if Good had decided not to fund J and B, he would have perhaps, you know, greatly embarrassed the son of a candidate for the presidency. Now, this appears uh, to be a relationship of very substantial power. Bush appears to have been uh, no, captured. <laughs> Critics of uh, Neil Bush's actions urged that uh, he be barred from future SNL dealings. But the Office of Thrift Supervision gave him the lightest penalty he could, um, basically ordering him to avoid future conflicts of interest in the banking industry. Now, another question that comes to mind is, U.S. regulators, they, they waited until the day after 1988 presidential elections to close Silverado. Was the timing part of a conspiracy to protect George Bush's candidacy? Or were they helping Republicans avoid major embarrassment, or was it just a lucky coincidence? Well, a couple of suspicious facts I want to draw to your attention here. Take you back to March 1987. Um... The feds uh, were studying Silverado savings and loan, and uh, they recommended that a cease and desist order be placed against it, which is, you know, a move that would have effectively shut its operations down. But Kermit Mulberry, who was the top SNL regulator in the district, felt that the order was too severe a penalty. So he put off issuing a cease and desist order for about 18 months Finally, in the late summer of 1988, Mulberry told the Silverado Board of Directors that he couldn't uh, hold off the obvious. Silverado was without doubt insolvent. So then Neil Bush resigned two days later, um, which were just days before his father won the Republican nomination for president. But Mulberry didn't seize Silverado immediately. After he uh, notified the board of directors that this, uh, the, the seizure was imminent, he got instructions from his superiors in Washington to delay it for another 60 days until after the presidential elections. And what was the alleged reason for the holdup? There wasn't enough money in the budget to pay off the depositors. So voters went to the polls... Um, without having their minds cluttered <laughs> with the, um, how would one say, unsettling news that candidate George Bush's son had been a director at one of the failed savings and loans. The news came the day after the, the election. So, uh, 1989 comes along six months later, in May, after Silverado crashed, and Neil Bush forms a new oil company, Apex Energy Corporation. Um, 
It was capitalized with about $2.3 million that he borrowed from Wood River Capital, which was a company owned by a Bush family friend. And in 1990, the the Small Business Administration uh, declared uh, Wood River to be in technical default on $25 million in loans from the uh, Small Business Administration. Well, what about uh, good old Walters and good old Good? Um, 1990, in June, they uh, testified before a congressional committee investigating their connection with Silverado and, uh, and Neil Bush, and they said that they were basically broke. But then a few weeks later, uh, there was a California news team that was basically trailing Walters, and they discovered that he and his wife were living in a $1.9 million house. They had two Mercedes Benzes and a $1 million Palm Springs condominium. And all of it was in Walter's wife's name. And remember, this is $1990. Good owned a $450,000 home. He owned a Maserati, a $4 million IOU from his uh, sale of a business, and uh, at least 175 different trusts. Just incredible, incredible swindle. Um... The, where I'm getting this information is from a, a, a book actually called Inside Job, The Looting of America's Savings and Loan by a guy named Stephen Pizzo, a gal named Mary Fricker, and another guy named Paul Mualo. This is a HarperCollins book uh, published in 1991. Um, if you're interested, check it out. There are two other books I want to recommend to you if you're interested in, in um, you know, discovering more about the SNL scandals. Um, it's one's called The Looting Decade. SNL's Big Banks and Other Triumphs of Capitalism by a gentleman named Robert Sherrill. Um, and uh, actually, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a book. It was an article um, in The Nation magazine. It was published November 19th, 1990. And uh, uh, the book, though, that I, was, that I should recommend to you is called Savings and Loan Scandal Trading Cards um, by Dennis Bernstein and Laura Seidel. And uh, this is put out by Eclipse Enterprises out of uh, Forestville, California. So uh, I highly, highly recommend uh, we deeply investigate um, this family and uh, its manipulation of uh, money and power. Um, I don't know what else to say about that. Tune in next time uh, where we're going to be continuing our investigation of the Bushy Bushes, um, except this time through the perspective of uh, the Iraqi War. And I don't mean this Iraqi war. I mean the first Iraqi war. Um, I'm going to call it the Beast of Baghdad. I'll, I'll post the netcast probably in a couple days or so. You know I'd love to hear from you. Check us out at conspiracy.podbean.com and comment on the various netcasts or just send me an email directly through the blog. Um, and uh, tune in next time where we'll be talking about Saddam Hussein, George H.W. Bush, um, Iraq One, and the Beast of Baghdad.